0: Well, I wanna say good morning, thank you for being here. I wanna go ahead and wish you an early very, very Merry Christmas. Appreciate uh, those who are watching online, those who are at our campus at Mill Creek, those who'll be watching by TV and those here at our Sugarloaf campus. Years ago, when all of our sons were at home, we established a Christmas tradition, did it for a lot of years. We'd go drive to downtown Atlanta, have this nice candlelight dinner at the Varsity, and then we would go to the Alliance Theater where we would see Charles Dickens' famous play, A Christmas Carol. Now, very few Christmas plays, or very few plays of any kind, really, are worth seeing every single year. But A Christmas Carol never got tiresome to me. It never got tiresome to the family. We always look forward to it. Charles Dickens wrote this play in 1843. It was published on the 19th of December. And listen to this. By the Christmas Eve, the first edition had completely sold out, totally gone. By the end of uh, 1844, a year later, 13 editions had been released. It became so popular that in 1849, Dickens began a public reading of the story, which packed out everywhere he went and proved to be so successful, he gave 127 performances until 1870, which was the year that he died. It's never gone out of print. One of those rare books, never gone out of print been translated into all kinds of languages. And of course, it's been adapted many times for films and cartoons and movies and even the opera. So you have to ask the question, why is this play so magnetic? What is it about the Christmas carol that resonates not just with Christmas, but with life? And what is it about this play and this book that speaks so much to life and the human spirit? Well, many believe it was because it was, if you know the story, and I'm sure you do, it was built around three spirits, right? There was the spirit of Christmas past and the spirit of Christmas present and the spirit of Christmas future. And when you think about it, and I think this is why Dickens wrote the story because by the way, Dickens was a strong Christian. That's what life is all about. You can really summarize your life in three ways. It's about your past. It's about your present. It's about your future. We're shaped by the past. We live in the present. We face a future. And I don't think it's coincidental that Dickens dealt with those three aspects of life through the story of Christmas, because if you think about it, Christmas is not just an event that happened in the past. We're proving right now it's an experience that we live in the present, and it's also an expectation that we have for the future. So today, we are beginning a series I've never done before, so excited about it, and we're going to call it A Way in a Manger. Not a way in a manger, but a way in a manger, because when you think about it, we all deal with our past and our present and our future. For example, none of us have a perfect past. There are times at night we all hear those skeletons rattling in the closet. We think about the regrets, things we wish we could do over the failures, things that we wish we could forget, things we didn't do that we wish we had done. And then we all live with troubles in the present, okay? I promise you, everybody in this room is is, is gonna resonate with this. You got problems in your life. You know how I know that? Because I do, always do, every day. You never get away from it. And all of us, we live every day with distress and disabilities and depression and discouragement. And then the older you get, the more the future looms large. Trips to the chiropractor, the doctor, the hospital, struggles to recall memories or familiar names. And of course, the realization that one day, the present is going to end, the past will be over, and we're all going to cross over into the future. So then as you begin to age, you begin to think, yeah, when's this going to happen? And how is it going to happen? And what happens after it happens? And I don't know, maybe this is why we love Christmas so much, because if you really think about the Christmas story, if it's not just a story, if it's actually history, if it actually happened, if there really was a baby laid in a manger and that baby was the one that actually created the world that he came into, if that really is true, then Christmas is all about a God who is a healer of our past, a help for our present, and our hope the future. And if you want to know how God does that, well, you have to look in a manger because we're going to do that in the next three weeks. We're going to be looking at a manger. And when you look at that manger and you really understand what happened in that first Christmas, when you really understand who was laid in that manger and why that baby came and what that baby did, then here's what just blows your mind. You finally realize, you know what? I don't have to fight the past. I can face anything in the present. I don't have to fear the future. So today I want to talk specifically to those of us, and this is what I want to talk to this morning. You don't have to answer the question out loud, but I'm just wondering, how many of you in some situation in your life, in that problem you're dealing with right now, and the reason why you wake up depressed or distressed or discouraged, how many of you really need God to show up in a strong way in your life But for whatever the reason, he hasn't. And I knew it'd get quiet, and it should be. Because a lot of us live with this unspoken frustration because we don't want people to think less of us. We don't want people to think that we don't believe in God or we doubt God. But the truth be told, there's some of you in this room right now, and you would say to me if I could talk to you, I need God to show up. I need God God to show up today. I need God to show up right now. And if I could ask God any one question, this would be the question I would ask. Where are you? Are you awake? Are you still there? Why haven't you shown up in my life? Because let's be honest, we all have those times when we need God to show up in a strong way, but he hasn't. Has he taken a leave of absence? Is he on vacation? God, I need you to do something. I need you to do it now. Well, here's the good news in the fourth chapter of a book called Galatians. A man by the name of Paul takes us all the way back, not just to the Christmas story, but what happened before the Christmas story. And there are three things we can always know is true about God, and it's always true about your life. It's always true about the problems that you face. And they're true to the extent They should give you peace about your present situation and they ought to give you a real dose of patience because you're gonna know when you see what God did at Christmas, you're gonna know this. God always shows up. Now listen carefully. God doesn't always show up when you want him to show up. But he always shows up when you need him to show up. So how do you know that we go back to christmas we're in galatians chapter 4 and i want to share with you three things about what god is doing right now in your life whether you can see it or not whether you feel it or not whether you even believe it or not it's working you ready number one god is waiting for the best time if you need god to show up he hadn't shown up yet remember god is waiting for the best time. Now, you know normally you celebrate somebody's birthday on the date of their birth, right? You know the month, you know the date, you know the year that someone was born. Here's the interesting thing about the most famous birthday that we all celebrate every year. We don't really know which month Jesus was born in. We don't know which day Jesus was born in. We're not even exactly sure the exact year he was born in yet. Even though we don't know the exact date of that day, we know it was the exact Perfect day. I was uh, I perfect day. I was what was called a premium. I don't know if you know my story or not. Uh, I was just up in Gainesville this past week. In fact, I drove by the hospital where I was born. And I got to think. every time I go to Gainesville, I think about it, I was, I was premature. I was about two months premature. Uh, I weighed four pounds when I was born. I lost down to less than three. Uh, the minute I was born, the doctor, they took me out, put me in an incubator for 22 days. My mom didn't even hold me for three weeks. The doctor let my mom and dad know they didn't think I was going to make it. My aunts didn't think I was going to make it. Nobody was thinking I was going to make it. But dad desperately needed just for IRS reasons to make it, okay? So, as you can tell, guess what? I made it. But I was premature. Well, Jesus was not premature. He did not come early. He didn't come past his due date. He wasn't born too late. He wasn't born too early. As a matter of fact, I've been asked this question a hundred times, hey, when was Jesus born? And here's the answer I always give. I know what they're looking for. Can you give me the exact day, the exact time, the exact year, the exact month? No, I can't, but I give you a better answer than that. Here's when Jesus was born. He was born at the right time. And he was born right on time because here's what you need to understand. I've said this to you a hundred times before. We're all worked up about time. That's why we carry watches. God doesn't care about time. God cares about timing. With God, timing is everything. So at Christmas, here's what we do. We tend to focus on who was born, why he was born, what he did after he was born. But there's another question I'd like to ask you to consider. I bet you maybe you haven't thought about it before. Here's my question. Why was Jesus born when he was born? He could have been born a 1,000 years earlier he could have been born a 1,000 years later, but why was Jesus born when he was born? For example, why didn't he come centuries earlier before the Roman Empire was, was in existence, before the Roman Empire complicated anything? Why didn't God wait around for a couple of more thousand years? Just look, why, what do we think about Jesus being born today? You got television, you got radio, you got social media. You got the present on Twitter. I mean, you got everything going for you, right? Why wasn't Jesus born today? Where everybody can know about it, everybody could hear about it. Well, Paul answers that question with a little statement that you might miss if you're not paying attention. I started last week for, once again, I'm reading the Bible through. and I, I finished early. So I started over last week. I'm reading the Bible through. I try to read through every year. And and, 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 and one of the things is, is, is I, I've, I'm kind of making sure I'm gonna do this year I'm really slowing down. I'm a speed reader by nature. I do a lot of things fast by nature, but I'm a speed reader by nature. But this year I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm gonna have a pen and a yellow, I'm gonna have a highlighter and a blue pen. And I'm just gonna slow down and I'm gonna notice everything, I, maybe things I've never noticed before. For example, in the book of Genesis, I have started writing down first. When did the first murder take place? When did the first act of faith take place? When was God first called God? I saw, I'm i really slowing down. And the reason is sometimes we, we, we hit these speed bumps in the Bible, and it kind of makes us slow down to see what God is really thinking. Well, Paul doesn't really talk much about the birth of Jesus. He leaves that to Matthew and to Luke. He doesn't get into all the details, but when he does mention the birth of Jesus, what he says is incredible. And this is what he said about the birth of Jesus. Listen to this. He said, but when the set time had fully come. So there's nothing coincidental, had nothing to do with luck, had nothing to do with God was just bored and said, well, I think I'll send Jesus. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Literally, by the way, what that says in the Greek language is when the fullness of time had come. In other words, the phrase is rich with meaning. It described, this this is what it describes. It describes something that is completely and fully developed. Uh, For example, it could have said it this way. When the apple was totally ripe, God sent his son. When the woman was ready to give birth, God sent his son. It was, uh, refers to an appointed time. When you go back and read through the Old Testament, I mean, I, find, I, I used to do this when I was growing up. I'd read through the Old Testament, and I would think to myself, why wasn't Jesus born during the days of Moses? Or the days of David? Or the days of Isaiah? Why was he born in this year and this month? And this day, why did God wait? Just like some of you are asking right now, yeah, why is God waiting in my life? I, I know the need that I have. And if I know the need that I have, he knows the need that I have. And I know that he knows the need that I have. What is God waiting on? Why is he waiting? Well, Paul is describing the exact moment in history when everything was in place. All the pieces were on the board. Everything was perfectly lined up. The stage was perfectly set for God to send his son. And he makes something very plain. Jesus was not born a year late. He wasn't born a month early. He was born right on time. According to Paul, there was a set time. So this is the amazing thing. God, even before the world was created, God had the birth of Jesus planned down to the exact second on his clock and the exact day on his calendar. He had made a divine appointment and God's never late for his appointments. He always shows up, never early, never late, On time, think about this. For thousands of years, the Jews had been waiting for a Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah. They were longing for a Messiah. And the Gentiles had waited on a Savior. But a little over 2,000 years ago, on an exact day, in an exact month, in an exact year, in an exact place, God said, Time's now. Wait's over. The baby's coming. You say, But why does God do that? Why does God wait? Why does he do that? Listen to this. God never shows up at a good time. He doesn't show up on time. He shows up at the best time. Did you get that? He doesn't show up at a good time. You think, well, it really wouldn't be good if God showed up for me right now. Well, he doesn't show up at a good time. He doesn't show up on time. He shows up at the best time. Now, anybody that knows me, and some of you know me fairly well, this will not surprise you, There are some things in life I don't like. I don't like them at all. I'll tell you right now, I don't like them at all. It's just not in my DNA to like them, but I'll never like them. And I'll tell you one thing I don't like. I don't like to wait. I'm just being honest. I don't like to wait. I don't like to wait in line at the grocery store. I don't like to wait in traffic. I don't like to wait to get into Sanford Stadium to watch Georgia play. And I am sick and tired of waiting for them to win a national championship. I don't like to wait. Okay, I don't like to wait. And as Dr. Seuss famously put it, waiting for the fish to bite, or waiting for when to fly a kite, or waiting around for Friday night, everybody just waiting. And that's part of life, part of life is just waiting. Did you know, listen to this, this this blew my mind. About 30 billion hours are spent waiting in line somewhere. And we will spend approximately six months of our lives in line waiting for something. Six months. You're gonna burn six months of your time just waiting in line. So much of life is about waiting. And yet here's the creator of the universe who doesn't have to wait on anybody, doesn't have to wait on anything, but yet he chooses to wait. He says, you know what? It is best to wait. God's never in a hurry. So if you're tired of waiting on the God who waits. Keep in mind what God is doing while he's waiting. Second thing, God is watching for the right time. You got that? God is watching for the right time. He's waiting for the best time. He's watching for the right time. So look what happens. When, put the verse up there, somebody, everybody ready? All right, go ahead and put the verse up there. Okay, we're gonna put the verse up there. Is it not working? Somebody help me. Frozen? Okay. But when the set time, the scripture says, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Now Again, don't know the exact day when Jesus was born. We do know it's a day that God had marked on his calendar. It was a set time. In other words, Jesus was not plan B. The pregnancy was not an accident. Everybody, God knew it was coming. So from the time that God hung the first planet in space, lit up the sun, put the first breath of a human being, God had this day highlighted in his iPad. It said, birth of Jesus. So when you see the time and the world that Jesus was born into, you realize just how right and just how perfect it was. For example, it was culturally right. It was culturally right. Jesus was not born. Oh, there it is. It was culturally right. Jesus was not just born into a country. He was born into an empire. Now think about this. God, show you how God's moving all the pieces on the checkerboard and you don't even know it. Jesus comes into a world when the most powerful empire the world has ever known was in existence. As a matter of fact, the Roman empire had actually been built upon the foundation of another great empire, the Greek empire. A man by the name of Alexander the Great set out to conquer the entire world, and in 12 years, he did just that. At his side was a Greek philosopher, some of you have heard about. His name was Aristotle. Aristotle became so influential that the entire world became Greek in its culture, its philosophy, its buildings, its architecture, its language, its thought, its literature, its thought, and the most important thing, language. When Jesus came into this world, the universal language of the Roman Empire was Greek. So here's what that meant. You could travel anywhere you wanted to from one end of the Roman Empire to the other end. You could talk to anybody. They'd understand you. You could write anything. They could read it. So when the New Testament authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote their gospels, guess what? They wrote it in Greek. Well, who could read it? Everybody. If you were educated, you could read it. If you were uneducated, you could read it. It didn't matter what part of the empire you lived in. It didn't matter what dialect you spoke. If it was written in Greek or spoken in Greek, you could understand it. And every other book of the New Testament was written in Greek. It was the common Ordinary language that everybody could speak and everybody could understand. That's why when you go to the book of Acts and you read about the apostle Paul and you read where Paul gets saved and Paul gets called into the mission field and God, Paul literally goes all over what is now modern day Europe and he's preaching the gospel. Here's what you don't read. He never took a translator with him. Didn't need to because everybody spoke the same language. So here's what that meant. Any Christian, could go anywhere in any direction as far as they wanted to go and they could preach the gospel in a language that everybody could understand. That's not coincidence. That was providence because with God, timing is everything. It was culturally ripe. It was also politically ideal. It was politically ideal. The reason why the Roman Empire was so strong for so long is because they were able to do something no other empire had done on a long-term basis. They had economic and political stability that was almost unprecedented and unheard of. For example, for almost 200 years, from 27 BC, probably about 23 years before Jesus was born, until 180 AD, there was a period that historians call the Pax Romana. It literally means Roman peace. Here's what that meant. The Roman Empire was a peaceful empire by and large. The Romans worshiped a God called Janus. We get the word the month January from that, okay? Janus was the God of war. Now, when the doors of the temple of Janus were open, it meant war was going on. But when the door to the temple of Janus was closed, it meant there was total peace. Now, listen to this. From the time that Jesus was born, For only the second time in the history of the Roman Empire, those doors were closed. So for 200 years before Jesus was born and after Jesus died, the church could go anywhere they wanted to in the Roman Empire and they could preach the gospel, teach the gospel in complete safety. Didn't have to worry about running into enemy combatants, didn't have to worry about somebody firing arrows or spears. Nobody's gonna take up a sword against them because the empire was at perfect peace. And because the empire was at peace, guess what the empire could do? It didn't have to spend money on soldiers and swords and spears and shields. It could take all that manpower, And all that money and all those resources. And here's what they did. They built an infrastructure of roads and highways. As a matter of fact, some of those roads are still in existence today. They still travel on those roads. And so the Romans also, they had this system. So not only could you go anywhere, you could go on a nice paved road back in that day to the standards of that day. By the way, they developed the finest postal system the world, the world had ever seen. Letters could be written and carried and dispatched all over the world on roads that were built in a peaceful atmosphere, in a language that everybody could read and everybody could speak. It was a politically perfect time. Then it was also spiritually ready. It was spiritually ready. The Jewish nation that Jesus was born into is not the Jewish nation of the Old Testament. Let me remind you. There was a king named Solomon, but he died. After he died, civil war broke out. Israel was split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom eventually disobeyed God just like the northern kingdom. And then they denied their faith and they went into captivity. And after a period, they were all dispersed throughout different countries which became known as the Roman Empire. But here's what God was doing. God not only broke the nation and made them go all over the empire, he broke their hearts and they repented And they returned to the true God. They went back to their monotheistic roots. They began to teach and preach. There's only one God. And we need to worship that one God. And they were hungry and ready. And they got back to reading the Old Testament. They got back to reading their Bible. And they said, hey, there's a Messiah that God has promised. And that Messiah has not come. We want that Messiah to come. So for thousands of years, Jews were hungry. Jews were looking. They said, we want this Messiah to come. Because remember... When the church was first born, don't miss this, it was not a Christian movement, quote, unquote. It was a Jewish Christian movement. The first Christians were Jews who converted to Christianity. It was not a Gentile Christian movement. So all the first people who were saved at Pentecost were Jews. You know what that meant? Paul knew he could go to any foreign city he went to, wanted to, any foreign city, anywhere in the empire, he'd find this, he knew, he would find a synagogue. He knew it. And he knew he could walk into that synagogue. He knew he could say just one word, Meshach in Hebrew, Messiah in English. He knew he could just say one word, Messiah. Everybody's ears would perk up. Antennas would get full blown. People would sit on the edge of their seat. Yes, we're looking for this Messiah. And what could Paul say? Have I got news for you, the Messiah has come. His name is Jesus because he knew they would be hungry for the gospel because they were looking for the Messiah to come. So put all of that together. Jesus was born at an appointed time in an appointed place. He comes in an empire that's totally at peace. There are roads you can travel. There are letters you can write are speeches you can make. And everybody could understand it. And oh, by the way, the people that needed to hear that message first were the people that were hungriest to hear the message. They were called Jews. And what happened was Christianity exploded so quickly and it grew so fast that within a generation after Jesus died, he was worshiped in every foreign country in the Roman empire. And within three centuries, listen to this, within three centuries, the Christian faith was the religion of the entire empire. What I just said ought to make your mouth drop. God is watching for the best time. I mean, coincidence? No, because I want you to encourage you. So God hadn't shown up for you yet? No. You think God's asleep? Yep. You've been praying for a long time and it seems like it's just bouncing off the ceiling? Sure does. Listen. God's waiting for the best time. I mean, the right time. But he's watching for the best time. And God's timing is always perfect. Now, here comes the best part. Paul's not finished. When I tell you what I'm about to tell you, I hope you'll leave here going, God, you just wait all you want to. Not gonna be in a rush. Because God's not just waiting for the best time. He's not just watching for the right time. He's doing more than that. You ready for this? God is working in his time. God is working in his time. Let me tell you what God's not doing in your life right now. God is not just sitting down, twiddling his thumbs and saying, don't worry, it'll all work out. No, God never sleeps. God never slumbers. God never takes a vacation. God never takes a break. God's always on duty. And God's, while he's waiting and while he's watching, he's working. And whenever God shows up, never forget this. When God shows up and he always will and he always does, he shows up in his time to do what is right for you and what is best for you. So now we come to the big question. Why did Jesus come? Why was Jesus born? How is Christmas past so important and so necessary for your past and my past? Now watch this. This is the best part of all. This Christmas baby has made it possible for God to do the two things that we all desperately need more than anything else. I don't know what you think your greatest need in his life. I don't know what you think it is. But let me tell you how I know what I'm about to say is true. If it really is a need and it's not a want, if it really is a need and not a want, I know God's gonna meet that need. You say, how do you know? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, he has already met the two greatest needs you have in your life, and you didn't even know you had them when he met them. So what is that? Well, here it is, you ready? But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. All right, question, who's he talking about? Who are these people under the law? He's talking about us. I don't know if you realize this or not. You were born under the law. You say, what do you mean? Well, for example, God's created physical laws in the universe, right? Well, you were born under those physical laws. We're all under those laws. We're all under the physical laws of the universe, right? So gravity works for everybody. You don't, you don't, you don't um, overcome the law of gravity, you demonstrate the law of gravity. you don't believe it, go to, the, go to the Empire State Building and jump off. You won't break it, you'll demonstrate it. You don't break the physical laws of the universe. Well, there are also spiritual laws of the universe we're born under. But there's the problem, because no one has ever stayed under the law. Nobody's ever perfectly obeyed the law. We've all broken God's law at one time or another. Now, what we call breaking the law, God calls sin. And Paul's gonna make something very plain. Nobody will ever, ever have a relationship with God by trying to keep the law. Why? Because no one has ever kept the law. No one ever will keep the law. No matter how good you are, you can't do it. Listen, I'm gonna prove it to you. If you think you're gonna get right with God by keeping his law, you can't even keep our laws. I mean, you don't have to you know, raise your hand, but how many of you exceeded the speed limit when you came to church today? I did. I do it every week, I told you that. I'm gonna go 10 miles an hour over. I get in my car, breaking the law. I know I'm gonna break the law and come out of my neighborhood. How many of you ever run a stop sign? Don't look at me like you're holy. Have you ever run a stop sign? Have <laughs> you ever run a red light? Made an illegal U turn. And you know what? That's just traffic laws. Now you think about this. You can't even keep the traffic laws and you're going to keep his law? Not going to work. Because it's one thing to break the government's law, it's another thing to break. God's law. You know, there's an old saying, if you do the crime, you pay the time. Well, when you break the law, you commit a crime, you pay for it. It may be a fine, it may be community service, it may be prison, but you got to pay for it. That's why we say about someone who gets out of prison, what do we say? They have paid their debt to society. What debt? The debt of breaking the law. Well, sin is debt to God. And every time you sin, you owe a debt. And from the time that we're born, you know what happens? We start piling up sin debt every day, and we can't pay that sin debt off. We can't bail ourselves out of jail. The best lawyer in the world can't help us. So you know what the greatest need of every human being is from the time they draw their first breath? Their greatest need is redemption. We need to be redeemed. That's why this baby was born. The word redeemed means to completely pay off a debt. Listen, That baby was put in a manger, not to bail us out, but to pay the debt completely off, to totally redeem us. He didn't come to give us probation. He didn't come to put us on parole. He came to give us a pardon from the bondage of sin once and for all. See, God is always working. And the work that God loves to do and delights to do and wants to do in every human being is to redeem us from our sin. See, here's the good news. Can't help but do this, boy. Devin, we talked about this two weeks ago, did we, buddy? Devin and I have something in common. We did the crime, but Jesus paid the fine. We did the crime, but Jesus paid the fine. And you know what? Because of that, you know what that means? Every, I get chewed up saying, but I live in spiritual freedom every day. Spiritual freedom every day. I'm free. Law, you got nothing on me. But you broke me yesterday, yes, but Jesus paid the fine. Yeah, you'll break me tomorrow, yes, but Jesus paid the fine. You have redeemed me, but listen, it gets even better. You ready for this? I know a lot of you are Baptists. I'm going to try to make you shout before this thing's over. (laughs) Jesus didn't come just to get us out of jail, set us free, put us on our own and say, well, good luck, hope life works out for you. No, what's this? At the right time, at the right place, God sent his son to those of us who need to be redeemed. He pays the fine. He gets us out of spiritual bondage. He gets us out of jail once and for all. Why? Watch this. That we might receive adoption to sonship. thousand years ago, ears would have perked up, eyes would have widened, chill bumps would have jumped out on arms when Paul said that. Because let me tell you why. Go back 2,000 years ago. See, when we think about adoption today, here's what we think about. We think about adopting babies, right, or our, our little children. But in the first century, babies didn't get adopted. You, listen to me. In the first century, babies didn't get adopted. They got abandoned. You say, well, who got adopted? As a matter of fact, in Jewish terminology, there was no term for adoption. Adoption was primarily a Roman custom. But they didn't adopt babies. So who'd they adopt? They adopted full-grown adults. You say, why did they do that? Well, usually it was the wealthy that adopted, and here's why they would do it. Rich people would have children. But like a lot of families, they get spoiled. they become big brats. There, there, there would be dysfunction in the family. And it was very important that the father had a child that he could trust with his estate that he would inherit so he wouldn't waste it all. So if he felt like he didn't have any kids that were worthy of the estate, guess what he would do? He would go out and go out into society. He would find an adult that was a, a person of good character and reputation who would manage his affairs properly and he would adopt him. And he wouldn't say to, even say to him, You're not my blood son, you're my adopted son, but I just want to tell all my other children this. You're not getting anything, he's getting everything. Because he can manage it. And see, if he was worthy, here's what he would do. If he was worthy, the rich man would not only make him equal with his children, he would raise him above his own biological children. There's a difference between Roman adoption and God's adoption. Here's the difference, you ready? If you are a Roman, here's who you look for. I want to look for the best person I can find. I want to look for the most trustworthy person I can find. I want to look for the most mature person I can find. I want to look for somebody that doesn't have a criminal record, never been arrested, never done drugs, never had an alcohol problem, never been an adulterer, never been a fornicator, never done this, never done that. I want to look for that Harvard grad honor student. God, totally different. He didn't adopt us because we were good. He'd adopted us in spite of the fact we were bad, real bad, as bad as you could get. He didn't say, James, you're worthy. I'm gonna adopt you. He said, James, you're not worthy I'm gonna adopt you anyway. I'm gonna make you my son. See, Jesus didn't come just to forgive us. He came to make us his brothers and sisters. He didn't come just to get us out of jail. Here's what he did. He redeems us. He pays the fine. He he gets us out of jail. And as soon as we walk out the door, he puts his arm around us and he says, brother, you're going home with me. And everything I have belongs to you. Drum roll. He says, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave. You're God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Now think about this. Because of Christmas, we actually can call God daddy because that's what the word Abba means. It means daddy. I'm no longer a slave to the law. I am a son of God. And guess what? Somebody tell me. This is really easy to figure out. What do slaves inherit? Nothing. Nothing. What do sons inherit? Everything. You're not a slave, he says, you're a son. So Christmas tells us, God not only sets us free, God not only takes us home, guess what? God gives us the keys to everything he has. So when you give your life to Jesus, he gives you everything that he owns. And oh, he owns it all. So you know what's gonna be an awesome time? Wait till we get to heaven and he reads his will. This is all mine, every bit of it. Every star that twinkles, every moon that glows, every sun that shines, every river that flows, it's all yours. So listen, listen, be encouraged. You need God to show up. He will. He always does. You say, but but he's waiting. I get it. But while he's waiting, he's watching. And while he's watching, he's working. He's waiting for the best time, watching for the right time, and working in his time. At the set time, God sent his son. There was an exact time that Jesus should be born. There was an exact time that Jesus should die. There was an exact time when he should be raised from the dead. There was an exact time when he ascended into heaven. There's an exact time when he is coming again, and he is coming again. And he won't be late, and he won't be early. He will be right on time. And there is an exact time for you to put your faith in that Jesus, and that time is now. Why? Because for you and for God, the best time, the right time, and his time is always.